0: You are listening to an Art Gallery of Ontario podcast. AGO Talks are recorded live in the gallery and feature artists, writers, and curators exploring how art shapes and inspires us. Please visit us online at agionet
1: slash talks.
2: Good afternoon, and thank you all for joining us for our Saturday Art Speak series. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pamela Chang, the former Art Rental and Sales Gallery Assistant, but I'm actually over in the main AGO now. Um, With me today, I have to speak on the topic of emerging artists. We have Trish Boone, Will Cousy, and Bill Clark. Um, So just to let you know how it's going to go, we'll talk for about 30 minutes or so, and then we'll open it up for discussion. So if this is your first time joining us for ArtSpeak, I'll just give you a bit of a brief background. It's actually our one-year anniversary of doing this. We began the series last year during our Merge exhibition as a way to give more information on the exhibitions and the artists that we have here at Art Rental. Each discussion includes a few key individuals who can speak about the exhibition and the artwork and artists on view, just to provide a bit of a learning opportunity for our clients and those interested. So to get started, I'm just gonna introduce our guest to you. We have Trish Boone, who is an artist, arts educator, and an arts writer. Her articles have appeared in various publications, including Canadian Art Magazine, Magenta Magazine, Square to Square Magazine, as well as her own blog, In Conversation with Contemporary, or Canadian Contemporary Art, which can be found online at www.trishboone.com. She also recently started writing for BlogTO, and I believe that there will be an article about <laughs> the Emerge exhibition here online. I could be wrong. There. I hope so. Okay, we hope, hope so. <laughs> when not writing, Trish is an art teacher and head of arts department at Central Commerce Collegiate in downtown Toronto. Her personal art practice is centered around producing sterling silver jewelry for her label by Trish creative so names. <laughs> 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 Next to her we have Will Cousy, who began Low Gallery while still a student at OCAD, undertaking a BFA in Criticism and Curatorial Practice. At the time, there was little opportunity for exhibition and curatorial experience with school, so he launched his own rental gallery, which eventually evolved into the current commercial gallery. Cousy has worked with the Art Gallery of Ontario, the Museum of Contemporary Canadian Art, and the Art with Heart Benefit, which is for Casey House. And beside him, we have Bill Clark who started collecting art seriously about eight years ago after working as a production manager for Canadian Art Magazine which provided him with a crash course in Toronto and Canadian visual art scene. His collection focuses primarily on works on paper by emerging Canadian and American artists as well as artist multiples and books. He is the editor of Magenta, sorry, he is the editor of the Magenta Foundation's quarterly online magazine Magenta and is a regular contributor to a variety of visual arts publications in Canada and abroad, including Canadian art, border crossings, modern painters, and art news. So first off, I'd like to ask you all, um, with so much art being created in Toronto and worldwide these days, what are you looking for when you're either buying work, representing an artist, or writing someone? Um, What is it that you're looking for in an artist or in an artwork, I guess, how do you choose?
0: Okay, I'll, I'll start with that question. Um, for me, uh, mainly, my, it's my initial response to the work, if I uh, absolutely love it and really want it. <laughs> of course, that's kind of the first criteria. Um, the second criteria now, because my collection has kind of gotten to the point where uh, I kind of feel like there's a, a sensibility is now actually starting to be formed. I've kind of gotten to the point where the work has to kind of fit with other pieces in the collection um, when I first started collecting it was very random and I think that's kind of <laughs> uh, that's every collector I think has to go through that you have to kind of sort out kind of what you uh, most respond to and kind of, and kind of figure that out um, but, uh, but mainly now when I'm, when I'm collecting the work has to kind of fit perhaps with something else either visually or have the same sort of like you know, uh, themes or or that sort of thing. Um, As you said in your introduction, I collect mainly works on paper. um, And I do that uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, First, because uh, paper is... Works on paper tend to be a little more affordable, yes. of course. So if you're, uh, if, you know, if you're not a Rockefeller, um, <laughs> you can, uh, you, you, works on paper, you can, you can usually afford. Um, and uh, and a lot of artists, of course, uh, work uh, working on paper is is their primary practice now. So uh, you can get very very uh, interesting work, of course, on paper. And also, too, because I'm a Libra and I have a very difficult time making decisions about things and <laughs> and keeping a focus um, sometimes uh, by gravitating to works on paper, uh, at least whatever I purchase, the medium or the base medium is always the same. So uh, if it's a watercolor, if it's a collage, if it's a book, if it's uh, some sort of like folded paper sculpture or something like that, it's at least always paper. So uh, at least that's kind of a uh, it kind of at least the collection is now kind of being grounded in one sort of like base yeah. format mm-hmm. yeah.
3: as, a, as a dealer I work in a kind of a different way because I kind of collect artists for what I do where uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for people that, uh, that I can invest in from the gallery and, uh, and help them secure a spot in art history or Canadian art history or the world as it moves forward uh, so I always um, I go to a lot of studios and look at a lot of work uh, and can often be Uh, I'm very susceptible to the story the artist is presenting me, the artist in general, uh, but I always try to bear in mind, and this goes for collectors as well, that is this piece going to be as strong for me when I leave the studio and when I stop talking to the artist or when I stop uh, being surrounded by what they have produced? And so I think that goes for the same with, with, uh, with galleries. I can often be Convinced of a great show, but after I leave and think about it for a day or two, have different questions coming up. So that's usually one that I have to try to always remember myself uh, or remember to myself. Um, I also have to. I look for a lot of technique uh, and and an awareness of at least Canadian art history and international history. Uh, and I think that the artists I find who have an awareness of those elements. Uh, indicates that there's an ambition to move a practice forward or to move a career forward uh, and uh, and that they're going to continue to do what they do. I work with a lot of young artists and I've gone through, you know, the gallery's been open eight years now uh, and we've probably worked with 20 to 40 artists who don't produce work anymore at all Uh, and that's, uh, that's a danger for me as a dealer when I'm selling and mm-hmm. when i'm investing in the, uh, the artists the through the gallery uh so those are usually things i watch for this kind of awareness of history which equals ambition uh and then uh, the ability to make great work and be committed to it as well uh, and then the final one is always and this is one that doesn't have to concern collectors as much but is uh, you know can i work with this person for five years can i have a relationship that is going to be successful uh, and not include anxiety and fear and anger if that's going to work if it's going to be reciprocal then this will work for me but it's a different set of constraints for me, I think, than for a collector, as mm-hmm. they're kind of looking for.
4: For myself, I think that I, uh, I think I relate to what Bill was saying earlier about when he started collecting and, uh, and he just felt like he was responding a lot to sensibility. Um, I think that's my biggest defining factor. Unfortunately, and I probably shouldn't admit this, but I try to, I try to see a lot of what's going on in the galleries in Toronto. And a lot of it doesn't really interest me, to be frank. There's a lot of it that I go in and I feel like I can take a minute in the gallery and I'm done. And that's fine (laughs) because there's way too much art in the city to purchase or write about or whatnot. So I first respond to that sensibility. And then because my writing process is one that um, I try to actually meet with the artist personally, uh, it helps if they're local. Um, or at least if they're in town, because I want to try and get a hold of them. So that sometimes keeps me from writing from about somebody mm-hmm. whose work I am actually potentially interested in, just because I can't connect with them. Um, and then yeah, and then to write a really interesting piece, it has a lot to do with what you were saying as far as how how well that artist presents their work and. To to respond to the show, for instance, I look over here, and I look at Amanda's work, and the more I talk to Amanda, the more I love not only her work, but her. And I think, I imagine, if I was somebody who was collecting, collecting, I was going to say collecting (laughs) more, but realistically, somebody who was collecting, that, that then that would really... That would really make the work that much more special, because the amount of thought. And I do know some of the some of the other, other artists in this room I've talked to as well, uh, but hers is very easy to speak to, just because she puts so much thought, and it's really, I mean, it's it's very well articulated, very uh, very erudite, and very from the heart. Like she's just everything she puts all of herself into her work and it's this really quirky melange of thought processes and whatnot that that makes for for an artwork that i think stands the test of time in your home or in a gallery and also from my perspective makes for a much more interesting interesting article than somebody who doesn't know how to relate about their work
2: i think you've all kind of touched on it a bit um But I guess with, like I said, so much, and you mentioned there's so many galleries and so much art out there, obviously you're supposed to buy art because you love it, but I think a lot of people do buy art these days for a bit of an investment potential. So how, I guess, with emerging artists, how do you know if it's going to go somewhere? And you mentioned, like, awareness of history and things, so if you guys could touch a bit on that, that'd be great.
3: Yeah, we talked a little bit just as we were getting ready mm-hmm. about investment clubs. I've had a lot of people coming to me saying, uh, we want to get together as a group, we want to buy, but we want to make some money. Or we want to <laughs> sell this. And I, can, and I say, you know, I can't guarantee that as much as your stock broker can't guarantee that your investments are as safe. And mm-hmm. so your, uh, you know, uh, great collectors have often said, I will buy a lot from 10 artists and hope that one of them pays for all of them. Uh, but they say, I still buy those 10 because I think they're good at what they do. Uh, so it's hard to keep that in mind. You know, the investment side of things is not something we can ever guarantee. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, art occupies a special spot where there's an expected gain in value. Uh, whereas cards don't feel that way, design doesn't feel mm-hmm. that way, furniture doesn't feel that way. So it's a funny place to start imposing those, those elements on there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the way to guarantee that you are getting something that is going to be around is to talk to the dealers. Do your homework, see if there are other artists sharing those elements. Uh, and then for yourself, you know, make sure that it lines up with something in your life that, uh, that connects with. You'd asked us to talk about uh, a favorite piece yes. or something we really like. And I was looking at all my walls, trying to figure out what I was gonna bring. And I kept going to the pieces that I had bought at a moment where I wanted to celebrate something so when the gallery hit five years I bought a piece for that moment or when I hit 27 I bought a piece because that was an important year for me Uh, and those ended up so so I don't care about the investment value of it some of them have done very well and can be resold but it's not a a concern on my level Mm -hmm. I try to provide that to collectors and you can do it in a successful way but there will be a lot of losses that will come along with it so it really does come down to loving what you're going for
0: yeah i I absolutely agree you can't really purchase art with an eye to it being an investment, and i've never really done that and and the few pieces that I have that have you know increased significantly in value, I tend to kind of it panics me a little bit <laughs> <laughs> actually, especially when I have to like you know start dealing with the insurance and all that sort of thing on it and that is something you kind of have to consider um I think too when you're when you're buying art it's kind of a responsibility to own as well, especially you know you're a lot of the time you know, you're buying something and it's, that's the only, only example of it that exists in the world it's, an, it's a responsibility so you have to take care of it in a way um, and, uh, but no I, I never purchased anything with an eye to it uh, uh, increasing in value but um, I guess one thing that you could do if you are you know, trying to invest in that way. One thing that you can look at is whether uh, that artist has got other things coming up. When you're looking at the work, if there's other exhibitions happening, uh, if there's uh, if if, so- if writing is being done on their work, and they're getting the attention of like you know critics and, and that sort of thing, um, that you know could perhaps give people a little more longevity as well. Um, and uh, uh, and interest mentioned earlier, talking about like actually meeting with meeting the artist. And, uh, that's something too that I, uh, sometimes it's great and you've bought a piece of work and it's always wonderful when you meet the artist and they're a really interesting, great person. But at the same time, I also sometimes kind of dread meeting the artist because, especially if you really like their work and then you meet them and they're,
4: <laughs>
0: you know, or, you know, or, so, you know, they're, you know, they're a douchebag or something like that, unfortunately. And then you're like, oh man, you know, it kind of, you know, taints your appreciation of their work a little bit, unfortunately, but, um... The uh, uh, I'm not quite sure where I was going with this, but the um, <laughs> but but definitely, yeah, like you have to kind of uh, you know, I tend to ask myself, you know, can I see myself in five years, like you know, still wanting this on my wall?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, and that's you know, so I think if you ask yourself a question like that, you know, and and I agree, I you know, there's a, a number of pieces that I've purchased that at the time they really spoke to me, they really spoke to what was going on in my life at the time or how I was feeling, and uh. Uh, Again, I guess if we've we've talked about what some of our pieces are, so I will. um, uh, I've got I've got two, um, and one of them is a drawing by the uh, Montreal-based artist Sylvain Bouthilet, who shows at Clint Ronish's, and it's a large work on paper, uh, and it's just a drawing of a bumblebee, just zipping through this like big open white expanse of paper, and when I looked at it, there was there were other works where it, there were multiple bees on the paper and and that sort of thing and but there was this, just the single one of this like little industrious creature that belongs to a community but is also like out there kind of on their own kind of working away and all that sort of thing it i kind of i, I really related to that <laughs> at the time and i still kind of feel that way kind of about myself and who i am and uh so whenever i look at that bumblebee and it's like big white expanse of paper I kind of feel like I'm looking at a little portrait of myself in a way mm-hmm. um, and then um, another small painting um, that I've got by Casey McGlynn and it's a it's a picture of a young man lying in bed and it's like he's dying or something and a friend is standing over the bed and the uh, um, the one and the, and the one figure the, the figure uh, who is standing by the bed is asking do you have any regrets and the one and then the character lying in the bed just says one and for and every time I look at that painting it just reminds me that you know it'd be really wonderful to like you know live your life without with with only one regret <laughs> you know and to always try to take advantage of like opportunities and that sort of thing and not let things pass you by and, and that sort of thing just that's a message that I took out of it when I when I bought it like years ago and it's uh, again one of those um Pieces that it doesn't. I don't. I don't care what the value is. Like the message is always going to speak to me, and and um, that's you know I I think that's you know really what you have to respond to. Definitely. Mm
4: -hmm. Well, I think I think I'll speak actually to both of those questions too. It's convenient that we're doing this because speaking to the piece of art, there's a piece of art that I bought at the um, the contemporary art, the Nathan Phillips Square art show a few years ago. And I bought it because it was beautifully done. It's, a, it's like an eight and a half by 11 kind of hyper-realist city scene. And it's of uh, Rotman's Hat Shop, which I think, I'm not sure if it's there anymore, that's, is it? On Spadina. Yeah. Yes. And I just remember, I for some reason, in art school, me and my friends were walking down the street. And I had a bunch of pictures of my best friend from art school in front of that shop. And this one is the shop, and then there's, it's kind of, there's it's sort of boarded up, and there's some graffiti, and it's just like not a bunch of really you know just a tag or something. and, and it's just really Toronto for me, um, and it's really beautifully done. Interestingly enough, I paid for it, and when the artist brought it to my house, I got to talking with her, and she mentioned that she wasn't that this was actually going to fund her post. Uh, her graduate work and that her graduate work was going to be in like museum studies she wasn't going to practice art anymore whatever and I still love the painting but I'm pretty sure that because she's not working anymore that that painting is never going to increase in value Um, which I guess brings us back to what Will was saying how useful it is as a serious collector like on one hand I I would never say to anybody to purchase art as an investment. However, how convenient to be able to buy something beautiful that may end up being worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you're pretty guaranteed if you go to Ikea and buy a print for $100, (laughs) it's not going to be worth anything. Whereas, you know, it's a bit of a gamble, but it's never a gamble if you love it, right? And if you do get a chance to talk to some of these artists, again, to speak to people in the room, if I look over there at Alex McLeod's work, if you know Alex, you know that he is such a master of self-promotion. The man has a lot of uh, writing done on him because he's made it happen for himself. And he's got such a keen sense of business that I would be pretty surprised if at his young age he doesn't go far mm-hmm. because he's got the mixture of, of savvy, both technologically, artistically, and business. So I, I would say that would be a really good way to go about it, like listen to your dealer, meet the artist, and sort of see, as an investor, do I think this is a solid investment in the same way I would think anything else was? Yeah. That's so, great.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I don't ever want to deny that it can't be an investment. I do think that you can, and that there are galleries that cater to building works that do retain their value, have been accepted into museums. Mm-hmm. So there is a way to buy very successful work that will maintain its value. So it can happen uh, yeah. and can be a benefit. I had a client say that you know I like buying them because I don't get to watch my stock drop in value, <laughs> if it's dropping in <laughs> value, or I don't get to watch my stock go up in value. So I like mm-hmm. having the piece on the wall being able to see this thing going up and down it gives me a pleasure that i don't get from my certificate
2: yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah
0: exactly but the thing is like you like trish was saying you know if you you know when you have even if you have work that doesn't you know it doesn't appreciate in value if you purchased it you've had it for your entire life and it's given you pleasure for your entire life and that's really i think where you have to look at the value of artwork yeah you know, know, I think there's and,
3: a yeah, yeah. there's a, a kind of cultural value in being a steward of those works as well, mm-hmm. and that there should be a, a kind of civic pride in supporting one's own neighborhood area city uh and cultural production
0: exactly know, that. and that's exactly and by do and that's why it's so important to buy work by living artists you know mm-hmm. like the that is what keeps you know the keeps a scene going and 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 dynamic and vibrant sort of thing, you know, like, you know, giving the support to the the living artists.
4: And I want to, actually, that brings me back to uh, the point that we were talking about earlier on before the whole conversation started. You were mentioning how a lot of mid-career artists will be like, how come nobody buys my work anymore? It's too expensive. And because, ironically, the emerging artist is... The riskiest investment, because they're brand new, but they're also the cheapest. So it's like a high-risk stock, where it could go through the roof in value, or it could go nowhere, but that's the risk. If you Mm -hmm. want a safer investment, then buy an artist who's a little bit more established in their career. You're going to spend a
2: little bit more, but you've got more of a guarantee also. Yeah. So... Um, you kind of mentioned the Toronto Outdoor Art Exhibition, and I know you've obviously got a gallery. Are there specific venues that you can say to people that might be worthwhile to check out? As there are so many in Toronto, you can't visit everyone, obviously. But are there specific venues?
0: No. Um, uh, well, well, that's the thing. I think you know galleries like Wills, like like Le Gallery, um, that specialize kind of in the new and emerging and the show-and-tell gallery as well. And even Catherine Mulherin, uh, ha, you know, she also uh, has a number of young emerging artists as well. Um, and then Erin Stump just opened her uh, ESP space uh, on Queen Street, just right next to Catherine's as well. And she's going to be showing a lot of young and emerging artists. So uh, there's, there's four galleries that I kind of look at uh, regularly for... Um, what is kind of new and and emerging, um, but uh, but outside of the galleries, there's you know a number of of routes you can go to to find out about new work. There's a there's a number of um, alternative smaller publications out there, uh, like Hunter and Cook Magazine and, um, and Magenta. I'll give my, my <laughs> on that a little bit as the editor, so um, but and, uh, some great you know, so, and some great <laughs> writers, exactly like Trish. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh the uh it, so so there's a number of like venues like that and, and c magazine as well where they uh like that like those are the those are the the publications where you know the the new emerging artists kind of get their first exposure um and the fact too that you have uh a lot of these publications are also like you know artist supported and run I also find it it i I find that when other artists are talking about artists' work, that tends to be a good indication of you know who may be kind of the next big thing, or who younger curators are talking about because these are the people who will be programming, you know, you know, perhaps at the AGO in like another twenty years, and so the people that they're talking about now are the people that who maybe they be maybe programming you know in another couple of years in larger institutions, so. Um, uh so publications like that I think are really worth uh checking out and uh and also looking at some of the artist run spaces as well because they too are also uh aren't you know constrained by commercial concerns. So uh they can take a few more chances on, you know, younger, interesting uh work and artists as well. So you can you know so places like Mercer Union or X Space or that sort of thing. Um and uh I'm sure other people have got other ideas, so I'm going to stop talking. But, so, so there's, but there's a couple of things that I... Do you think want to
4: Okay. Well, I have to plug uh, Love Gallery, too. There's a lot of great... All the galleries that you mentioned in the West End are really fantastic. One of the ways that I would go about it if I was trying to familiarize myself, um, because I think you do get to the point where you just... You end up... And it's hard for me. I try to get myself out of that rut all the time where you end up knowing that there's a few galleries that the curator or the director really responds to your own sensibilities, So you can kind of go there and you're guaranteed to see something you're more or less interested in. But there's uh, Canadian Art Magazine has, I think it's a bi-yearly art hop, where they have similar to people like us, like people who are in the art community, um, that will take you on a free tour of a string of galleries. So it might be a string of galleries down Osington, down Queen, in Yorkville, um, you know, Tecumseh and whatnot. So they'll take you to a string of galleries and they'll show you, they'll show you kind of what's typical of that gallery. And I would take advantage of that because it's that kind of thing, because it's free and you get to talk with the gallery or you just go into a gallery and introduce yourself. I think a lot of people are quite shy to do that. Um, Go in and and talk and ask the the director kind of what that gallery is about, and make a few days of it to familiarize yourself with the city, and then find your your top five or whatnot, and start visiting those places regularly, and then you're really going to find find what what works for you, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people do. I'm sure I'm sure you would agree with this that a lot of people end up developing a relationship with a director Absolutely. of a gallery and then that person can really help help them to work together almost as like your uh your uh, investor right yeah
3: <laughs> yeah art consultant yes. oh, Thank yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> but no definitely that's uh you know I, d- I do lots of talks to young artists as well and visit the schools doing presentations uh, and we often I often say you know in Toronto we have 400 art galleries now there are 400 commercial galleries but only about 40 of those play into kind of critical contemporary practice to me uh, and that the other 360 are not places I end up going to uh, because they're not as rigorous, they're not as critical uh, or it's a generation that I'm not as interested in looking at Uh, and so being aware of where those things are helps spending the time to look at those 400 websites helps to say yes I like these Uh, or even asking the dealer whose gallery you're in saying you know I really like what you have but I'm not, not particularly interested in this show and is there anywhere else I can go to check something out uh, and for me when I look for finding artists I spend a lot of time in April when school comes out going to those exhibitions so York University has a grad show Sheridan has a grad show Humber has a grad show uh, Ryerson's Mass X show is great OCAD's final show is incredible uh, and that's a nice spot to go because all of the artists are aware that this is their first shot to show everybody what they do so they show the best work uh, they show it, and they're probably going to sell it at half the price of what it's going to be in a year if somebody's going to pick them up uh, and, uh, and you have a really focused look at what the trends are for that year uh, and then spending time at the Nathan Phillips Square show at the Outdoor Art Show uh, and there's also the Artist Project which has started mm-hmm. up which has become quite a good platform for, uh, for work Uh, but I'm always a little cautious of those because those aren't vetted by the gallery system. Uh, So you do run into a situation like Trish where you may be buying something from somebody who has no plans on painting the next year, which is no problem if you're looking for something to pick up and have, uh, and that works for me. Uh, I had a a big AGO donor in the other day, and I was asking him advice for what I need to do to move to the next level with the gallery, Uh, and we were talking a lot about speaking to these things, but he said his biggest thing he ever tells anybody starting out in collecting is don't buy your art at the same place you buy your furniture, and that 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 was. he said you know I'm a I'm a big buyer now. I mean this guy's spending millions of dollars a year now. But until he understood that and what the purpose the gallery serves, he didn't quite understand why he wasn't supposed to. Uh, because he even even collectors sometimes feel like the commission going to the gallery is too much. And why should I be doing that? I'd rather just go straight to the artist and buy from them. Uh, but we always say that vetting of the gallery provides a bit of. Uh, Uh, an assurance that there's an investment coming into that artist. That somebody's already said this is somebody that will help move that forward. You know? So I do, I do find that going to do the commercial galleries, spending one day a month going uh, to have coffee, and you plan where you're going to have your breakfast, and then you go and you plan where you're going <laughs> to have your lunch, and you plan where you're going to have dinner, because usually around galleries there are great restaurants, and those dealers will help you pick those as well. So I like the tours the most that get you exposed to seven different galleries with seven different programs, uh, but spend a day of it so that you're in that mindset when you're looking. You can turn your BlackBerry off and drop your iPad and go and look at work on the wall.
0: Right. Um another another good resource too, I think, uh, are auctions and there are there are so mm-hmm. many in Toronto, a lot of them actually, <laughs> okay. and it does seem, you know, it almost getting to the point where, you know, you could never go into a gallery again and you could just buy all your art like at auctions nowadays, which I don't recommend actually. <laughs> so um but the uh uh but but again, if you just want to get to... even if you don't go to the auctions and buy, um, the uh, uh, most of, most of the auctions like Hunter and Cook again has an auction. Sea Magazine has an auction. Uh, uh, Casey House, Mercer uh, Union. Union has an auction. So there's so there's a whole bunch of of artist spaces and charities that have auctions. Canadian Art has their auction as well. So even if you are even if you don't go to the auctions most of these places put their catalogs online so you can go online and you can look at these catalogs get a great survey of work um again most of the work has been chosen by people who are in the know supposedly writers curators other collectors that sort of thing uh, and uh and you can also get it, so you can get a sense of what is out there, but you can also get a sense of prices, and when you're talking about people being shy, asking about prices is, you know, probably the hardest thing to do when you walk into a gallery. Um, And Canadian art really is remarkably affordable at all levels, really. When you think about, you know, mid-career artists in Canada, if they were mid-career artists in the US, they would be, you know, their prices would be so much higher. Um, But the... uh, uh but but I, I but I think, but auctions, I think are a really good uh resource as well for getting a survey of kind of what is out there and get a sense of what you know a piece of work may cost because the estimates are usually there as well, so that takes some of the the guesswork and a bit of the trepidation of maybe finding out some things as well. Mm-hmm.
3: And I think the art fair, you know, Art Toronto is a major place to be able to go to see lots of work, uh, but that always is a bizarre spot to buy and look at art, uh, because you are, you are going to be hustled into buying something very quickly without you realizing it, and it's important to go back over a couple of days, that's what I always say, usually we, we're not as aggressive the first two days, because we want people to come back and say, you know what, I looked at everything, this is what I want. I've decided that this is going to happen. Uh, and so it's a, it's a, it's a, you're in, Yeah. You're in water with sharks at that point, and yeah. so it's important to restrain yourself or be prepared to take time.
4: It's this weekend, isn't it? Isn't it one this weekend? Art Expo. Oh, yeah. Art Expo. Yes yes. yes, yes. Art Expo is
3: happening, yes. which is okay. uh, which is booths of artists only. So no dealers at that one, but artists' run booths. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. You guys. Oh. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Also, well, the one one good thing about auctions, though, of course, is when you're you know if you don't have a lot of money, chances are you could maybe get some deals there, and uh, which is which is good. Um, And uh, for, you know, the not maybe necessarily for the galleries and the artists, but it is good for some of these, you know, some of the charities and the smaller publications trying to, you know, trying to survive here as well. Um, But uh, another good thing about auctions, too, is a lot of times artists will make affordable one-offs for the auction. So you may never be able to afford something at the gallery, uh, but... Uh, the artist has maybe made something smaller a little more affordable for this small auction so you you can sometimes weed out and like ferret out I should say like uh, you know things like that at auctions which are really worth kind of going to them for and trying to you know trying to obtain in that way I've done that a couple of times Mm -hmm. as well and it's been Rate. No, the recent
3: uh, bunch of uh, uh, Japan Aid mm-hmm. uh, auctions have been great places, because, and, and it, it's a different situation because you know all the money is going to charity, mm-hmm. uh, so whatever is raised is worth mm-hmm. uh, is worth accepting, and that was yeah. that would have been a great place. Magic Pony had one, which is a, a shop on Queen West full of incredible work that went for a steal uh, but there was no problem because the artist knew I'm not making money off this this is not going to be a standard for what my practice bears mm-hmm. uh, I just, I, whatever you pay is great with us and you could have gone with you know a, with a couple thousand dollars and filled your house with incredible work at that event uh, and all from people who are kind of up and coming as well.
2: Mm-hmm. And just one other event, too, is um, Time Razor. For anyone Absolutely. that doesn't know, um, instead of bidding money for the pieces, you actually bid volunteer hours, um, and the artists are all paid fair market value for their work, so it's a win-win for everybody on that front. Mm-hmm. Just wondering if you guys have any tips for artists that are just starting out their careers, kind of what to do to make a name for
3: themselves. Uh, work hard in the studio. That's, <laughs> for me, that's the, that's the biggest one. There's, there's been a shift in the way that art is produced, in the way that galleries find their artists. Uh, It used to be a very romantic idea of of slaving away in the studio and the dealers are out there looking for work. But now so much more work is required because of the proliferation of Mm -hmm. uh, internet access, uh, digital materials, uh, actually the affordability of traveling has changed the art world with artists. uh, And that it requires a lot of work to have people know who you are uh, and be willing to come and see what you do. Uh, So for me, I always say to an artist, you know, I get... I think I average about 2,500 submissions a year now for the gallery and we try to look at as many as we can but a lot of them are just come and check my website out, I'll be great for your gallery. Uh, and if I don't know the person, I'm probably not going to pay much attention to it. So I remember going into a Yorkville gallery and then just saying, you know, who are you? Uh, and, and then saying, you know, I'll give you some time when I know who you are. Uh, and this was as a young dealer and they, but they didn't have time because they didn't know I was serious. Mm-hmm. So it took the time for me to go to four or five shows, tell them what I liked about the show. Uh, why I was interested in what they were doing, and now I can call them for advice, and it works the same way with an artist. If an artist is coming to talk to me about my shows, my artists, what they do, or art in general, then I'm much more likely to want to work in a relationship with them as well. So I feel like that the, a web presence is an important one, but also a, a, a personal presence at galleries and meeting collectors is an important one as well) <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, sums it, up. It's, it's, yeah. it seems to be a simple idea. It takes a lot of work, and it takes patience. I mean, patience is probably the biggest one uh, because emerging can be so hot and can sell so quickly. Uh, pre-recession, things were selling out of studios before they were made. Mm-hmm. Uh, investments were being made like crazy that were unbelievable. Uh, but having patience to not be that person or being prepared to be that person is really important. Uh, in Canada, you know, you want to be an emerging artist as long as you can. You know, it's nice to be an emerging and have that focus on you. So there's, there shouldn't be an eagerness uh, to become something really quickly. Uh, and talking about Bill's comment about curators, uh, I have a lot of young artists saying, I want a museum show. I should be in a museum show. I need to, that's where, that's the next step. That's the next level. Uh, and I often have to try to communicate that, uh, it, you know, there's, it's three generations above you or two generations above you that are in the museums. You, the language of what your work is, is not at that level. The people who, who are part of that discussion aren't there yet. You're going to have to wait for our generation to move into those roles to be at that museum level. So the patience to be able to maintain that first emerging level takes a lot of restraint uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of time fighting that anxiety to be growing. Uh, but it's about working hard and making sure that your practice is relevant uh, and speaking to the dialogues that exist internationally.
0: And I suppose, like, I guess this is kind of a very, you know... High in the sky, kind of thing to say, but you know, just really, you know, like I think artists just have to stay true to themselves and and really just believe in what they're doing because I think uh, people can tell when you're starting to fake it, Mm
3: -hmm. and
0: you know, if you're if you're starting to do work simply because you know you think it will sell or or, you know it's you know or it's trendy right now. I, th- I think people just kind of can kind of tell, and it just you know it starts just to feel a little cynical, and it puts you off as a collector a little bit when you can kind of sense that. Um, and uh, and I know, and that's the thing. It's tough. It's probably very easy to, uh, you know, when you make it when you make a body of work that sells really really well, you want to kind of you know it's probably very easy to feel like lapse into you know keep doing that. Um, but uh, I, gu- I I guess what artists need to do. I'm not an artist, so I'm kind of, whether I, whether I is relevant at all, but the uh, uh, just just being able to take, just having to, just taking the time to like be able to sit and generate ideas and not just, like you say again this goes back to patience, not constantly trying to churn work out and mm. that sort of thing, but to be able to take a step back and kind of assess where you are and 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 take the time to kind of, you know, map out something or, you know, let ideas percolate before putting them out there, sort of thing, I mm-hmm. think.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that, that speaks a lot to the way things are going now. Mm-hmm. It really does take time and you can be very caught up in producing a lot of work very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, artists are eager to get a US dealer and, uh, and a European dealer right away, uh, but I have I have one of my top, top artists. Uh, it happened very quickly for him. It was great. Uh, the Whitney Museum of American Art bought a piece from his New York dealer uh, and then the French dealer wanted him right away. Uh, but now we only have a show of his work in each of our countries every six years, and that makes that 's a massive gap to keep people interested in the work that 's happening uh, and he uh, because of that can't provide anything in between shows. I mean, he's just working for his show that he's got coming up in two years. Uh, And then that ships and starts on the next show. Uh, So there's not extra work to have happen. There isn't room for commissions. There isn't room, even if a museum were to approach him, there's no available work to allow to go to that museum. Uh, And that's become a problem. He's, you know, he's lucky because there is a demand and that demand has maintained itself, uh, which is great. Uh, But there are other artists where that demand just vanishes if you're not present. If you're, not, if you're not taking the time to make sure you're, you're satisfying all the demands of what the art world needs.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and, I, and I also, talking to the writers, I think that the, the relationships with writers are huge and that self-promotion is a major part of it. The, deal, the dealer can do what they can do within their circle of clients uh, and social access, but the artist can drum up just as much support. And often it is a requirement to find writers who like your work so that they can pitch stories to magazines. I think a lot of artists believe that the magazine is aware, or the institution, whoever is providing the writing, is aware of everything that's going on and will send writers to cover those stories. And I learned very quickly that that's not (laughs) how it goes. So me sending press releases to Canadian Art exclusively would never net me a piece in Canadian Art. I need to meet people like Bill and like Trish to be able to write about those artists. Mm -hmm.
4: It's funny, actually, that you mention that, because I I won't mention the artist's name, but I was at the... uh The last Canadian art launch party and I was talking to an artist and I said oh you know I I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna send another another letter and and make a better pitch because I pitched something um, I pitched an article to Canadian art magazine about you and uh, but I haven't heard anything back which is pretty typical like that I won't (laughs) hear anything back for ever or for a while at least and uh, and the artist in question said, "Oh well, they, I mean, they know they know who I am because there was a picture of mine in there was a picture of mine in the last magazine." Well, I had been at the last magazine launch talking to the editor and mentioned this artist's name, and the the editor was like, "Huh, who? Because it's it's such a." The, I think the production of a magazine is such a machine that, I mean, I was talking to somebody at that last launch, another person who worked at the magazine, and they're like, well, I don't read the magazine. And then everybody in everybody in the circle was like, I don't read it either. I don't have time to read the magazine. Too busy putting it together. And the, so it is funny that an artist might not realize. They think, well, my picture was in this magazine. Obviously, everyone knows who I am now. It's like, well, no, they don't. And you know, and Rick Rhodes gets, I'm sure, just as many emails oh, as yeah. you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know? absolutely. And so, to to have this expectation, to have this expectation that your work is done with self promotion is uh, is erroneous, always. You know, at, at the best of times. Yeah.
0: Exactly, and and the thing, is, and being a writer as well, like the. Uh, uh, and that's and that's the thing too. Like we, you know, we could we could be the biggest fans of your work ever. Yes. you know, we could love it so much, but there is still that editor, you know, who sometimes feel like they're in the way, and because you because know, you're pitching it and you're pitching it, sort of thing, but just not being picked up. It's, it's so frustrating sometimes, <laughs> you Because know, you're like, but this work really deserves international exposure, you know, and it just won't happen, you know, sometimes. But you know, it's it's tough, especially getting Canadian art out there internationally. You know, like you say, we, we're, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about 400 galleries in, you know, Toronto, yeah. you know, which seems, you know, which when you said the number, I was like, holy crap, <laughs> you know, like, really? <laughs> Jeez. But the, uh, uh, but, you know, but, but, then when, but then when you're thinking like globally, like God, you know, like trying to make a yeah. dent in that, you know, here in Toronto, it's just, ugh
3: it's yeah. a lot of work. And I think it's a thousand yeah. galleries alone along five streets in Chelsea. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, that you're competing with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly.
2: Well, I think you guys have given some really great tips for our collectors and our artists, so I'll open it to you guys if you have any questions to ask. <laughs> So I'm just going to repeat the uh, question so everyone can hear it. So the question is just to what extent are willing to put their work out there in the the worldwide web rather than going to an actual gallery to see it?
3: I think you're likely to find a lot of great images out there. I think that, at least for emerging artists, that this is a generation that is completely digitally literate. Uh, so it would be it would be bizarre for a young artist to not have a website or a blog or a source to find those images. Uh, and uh, from me, as a, from a, a business perspective, I have thousands of images on my site as well, with prices online as well. And I'm part of a different shift. So older galleries are not interested in putting the image or the price up there uh, out of fear that it's going to be stolen or mm-hmm. uh, that it'll cause issues at the border with shipping, uh, and that can be a problem. But for me, uh, I, 30% of my business is international and that is through people who I don't ever speak to. It's done by email, and it's usually because they've seen something on my website. Uh, so that is definitely something that's out there. I spend most of my nights, when I'm, when I'm finishing my studio visits at 1, 2 in the morning, I go home and spend a couple hours looking online for new artists. So I'm just as interested in finding those websites to see what they're doing so i think as a collector you can find lots of work Uh, and it's it's probably a good idea even if you are looking through a gallery's website to try to track back to that artist's website you'll get a much fuller history or a more uh, robust history of what they've achieved projects that they've done what led to this body of work Uh, because sometimes even a gallery can be a little selective about what's being put up online Mm -hmm. what the image of that artist is going to be so i think you'll you'll find loads and loads of high quality images available to see what's happening
0: and of course, and of course, the, the beauty of the 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 beauty of the web now, of course, is it uh, it, it can kind of allow you to comparison shop a little <laughs> bit, um, especially uh, like I like uh, in the introduction, as you said, I also collect books and multiples, so uh, it gives you the opportunity to kind of you know tool around and try to find the best copy of something for the best price. So that's always that's kind of great about the web. Of course, the downside with the web, um, I think. If I think if you're a photography collector, I think that the web is great because you can look at a photograph on the web, and you can pretty much get a really good sense of what it is. But I feel like looking at painting, especially on the web, is terrible. Like um, it, it just you know images on a screen of a painting just never convey what the painting is you know or, there's always the color is always off or, or
1: sometimes they make it look just, a lot better than or, or, or
0: exactly or exactly, exactly that's true sometimes it can look a lot better than it than it actually is but uh, the um but, but I kind of feel especially things with painting and sculpture things that are like very tactile you know medium you have to experience it in person if you are going to commit to buying it, or you're taking a chance. You're just not you never quite sure what's going to show up if you haven't actually seen it in person. So
4: It might be just a nice way to sort of keep abreast of what's going on. Like, if you're living outside of Toronto and you know, okay, well, we know there's these five galleries that we're interested in, you can kind of keep tabs on them and decide when you want to make the trip in to see mm-hmm. a show rather than coming all the time. But yeah, I would agree with you. I would never unless I was old moneybags, I would <laughs> never purchase a drawing or painting online.
3: I think the benefit of artist web pages as well is the links section. So galleries are not going to put links on their website for other artists or artists we don't represent, whereas an artist mm-hmm. will have their 50 favorite artists. And so I, I actually spend a lot of time going to people's link pages and looking at all of the artists they like because there may be somebody speaking to the same kind of work as Amanda Netum or as Bogdan Luca or Tristan Lansdowne uh, that makes sense for me to show in a group show or in that context so uh, yeah following those links over and over again even with art blogs if you're onto art blogs or art art, uh, websites uh, they'll often link back whoever they found that information from it's now uh, kind of an ethical issue on in on, blogging that you have to a- allow the source to be recognized. It's always at the bottom of a post. There's usually the link to the source and tracking those back often finds a lot more. You'll open up the doors
0: to a lot more work. Mm-hmm. Which can be dangerous too. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it can be really bad for the wallet. Oh dear. Yeah, I was going to say one thing I spend the bulk of my time doing for another part time
1: job I have those researching emerging artists and okay. I spend so much time going through their website to their blog, and I went to their blog links because there's all these artists I've never heard of. They're located everywhere, not necessarily in Toronto, but yeah. in other cities in Canada and international. And you can find, it's such a great resource for we looking for, untapped artists. Um, but my question is, uh, I come from more of an art theory background, and one thing that really bothers me with emerging artists is that they can't discuss their work in theoretical terms, they can't really discuss not a sort of trend, but they, they can't really talk about the history of that, what the, the practice and, and the future of it and kind of discussing these sort of these more different contexts. And I'm wondering if that's something that you kind of think is relevant or, or, or contributes to their artwork or can you look at the artwork without kind of having
2: to get the statement that it goes
1: with it. So.
2: so I guess the general topic here is like art theory involved in emerging and contemporary artists.
3: I think within within Canada, you're uh, looking at the CV and seeing what school they went to will dictate how good their writing is. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, OCAD students are technique based students. They're students that have had lots of studio time and very little time writing. The requirements for writing. Uh, I had gone in as a painter uh, and uh, because I had painted for five years leading up to school, uh, found myself in a, a program with lots of people who had barely painted. Uh, So part of me wanted to leave because of that, but I also wanted to argue more about my own work because I was confident in what my work was, but became the voice of these class critiques because nobody else had really thought about what it meant to put a blue here or uh, for figures with no females. What what did that mean about a piece? Uh, And so my shift to criticism curatorial practice was actually out of that reason, was that I wasn't satisfied uh, with the people I was working with in the painting classes and wanted to dig into that a little bit more, Uh, as opposed to Guelph, where you'll have students leaving Guelph University with an incredibly strong understanding of their conceptual practice, uh, and it's rooted in that way. But even looking across Canada, you look at Winnipeg, Winnipeg artists can talk for ages about their work because there's no commercial market there. Mm -hmm. They're not making work to sell. They're making work to outdo other artists and to have those conversations. Uh, So for me as a dealer, I don't put pressure on my artists uh, to get a lot better at their writing. I encourage them to always be writing. They have to provide me writing about their work. They have to be able to talk to me when I'm in the studio about that work. Uh, and if they can't answer certain questions, they have to stop working until they can answer those questions, uh, because they're they're violating things that have come before them. Uh, I'm a big proponent of standing on the shoulders of giants within your own practice. And if you are if you're attempting to be if you're a young artist doing abstract paintings uh, but can't talk about abstraction uh, and where it may have ended or where it may have begun again, uh, then that's an issue. Then you haven't considered your work enough. Uh, so I think when you're, on, when you're on personal websites of artists you have to let that go a little bit uh, uh, practicing artists are so much in their head about the actual production of their work that often that time isn't spent talking about it or thinking about it But when you do come across somebody who can, uh, then it's a great thing. But of course, you will come across people who talk too much about their work and position it too incredibly deeply or are wrong about the way that they're thinking about it, and that won't change. And I come across those problems all the time as a a dealer. Uh, And I think that's that's the benefit of a... If you're interested in those parts, you find a dealer who's willing to talk about those things, have those conversations. Uh, I like people coming into my gallery to talk to me about... Uh, well, I have, a, I have an artist who uh, does military-based work, uh, and for me, it's a very important thing. But for a lot of my other artists, they just think they're paintings of guns and weapon uh, weapons. But I have I have theorists and people doing their PhDs coming in talking about uh, misogyny, misandry, uh, and like incredibly. Uh, detailed discussions about the implications of these images on young men and young women the artist cannot participate in that conversation or they would like to be introduced to it Uh, so I try to be as knowledgeable as I can about those things or a little bit about all those things so that I can engage with the client about that and hopefully inspire the artist to beef that up in what their work is Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, going through art school uh, everybody always wanted to claim their style they wanted to say I do this I make this I'm, I'm an abstract expressionist I do this, and I always thought that that's not the artist's job, that's the writer's role. The writers define the movements, the trends, and what's happening, and it's difficult to expect an artist to be aware of what's going on. one of the biggest flaws is that uh, an artist making watercolour paintings in a realist style is not interested in the least in expressionist <laughs> painting, uh, and you can't expect them to enter into a conversation about where their work fits, because they hate a lot of other kind of work, whereas a dealer's role is to be aware of it, or a writer's role is to be aware of it and be able to
0: contextualise it. Yeah. Um, I, I try not to look at the artist's writing very often. Um... Because a lot of the time, I, I'll, i I, I will look at the work first, and I'll kind of formulate my own opinion about it. And then a lot of the time, I will read artist statements, and I'll be like, "Really? That's what it's about? <laughs> really?" You know. And uh, so, um, I, uh, oh, I, I don't know. I find that I, I, I'm speaking as a collector here, so I think I, so I don't, I don't think about the artists writing about their work quite so much as I think about my own response, and again, my own like, you know, you know, desire to live with it sort of thing it doesn't necessarily matter to me as a collector what the artist says about the work it has more to do with like my own of course feelings about it and and that sort of thing and artists might hate that but you know at least I bought it so
4: (laughs) I really love that artists have trouble writing about their work it it gives me a place. <laughs> um, I, do, I do see what you're saying, though. I find it rare uh, that, that an artist brings up theory. I find generally, they'll, they'll talk concept, but it's, it's rare that they, they sort of speak back to their artistic lineage. I did find Tristram, Tristram uh, does that very well. He's one of, the, one of the few artists that really, really spoke to his artistic lineage and where he felt that his ideas had come from both in life experiences and also relating that back to, to artistic heritages. But uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's dependent, you know? I really... Yeah, no,
1: and I would agree with that definitely. I, I mean, I, I guess I, would, I don't look necessarily to an emerging artist to have too much of this academic theoretical background they just don't different But I just uh, I like that at least they can kind of kind of formulate some opinions about their work and have a kind of thoughtful discussion
3: of them. Yeah, my approach usually to engaging those conversations with artists is to ask who their favorite artists are in history, and that gives me the idea of where they're aiming for. Uh, but I often come across, you know, I'll read I'll go and do a visit to a school and I'll read 30 artist statements before I go, and 15 of them are about uh, how they're fascinated with color, uh, but to each of those artists, they are the most fascinated with color, and that the other people aren't. Uh, but I have to say to them, you know, you can't write about formal elements like this unless you're going to really attack them. You know, it's it's hard for you to say that you're fascinated with color, and for me to love the work because of that statement. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you all. I think you've given us some great insight into emerging artists and what to look for as collectors or would-be collectors, and we'll know where to go to see artists and where to read about <laughs> artists. So, so thank you all for participating. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Thanks for, having thank thank you for having us. Thank you for us. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Art Gallery of Ontario podcast. For additional recordings, as well as information on upcoming programming and events, please visit us online at agio.net Slash Talks.